second scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke. And it is important to know that just before the story that we read today, Jesus has been criticized for eating with tax collectors and sinners. Let us listen for God's word. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And a woman in the city, who was a sinner, having learned that Jesus was eating in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar of ointment. She stood behind Jesus at his feet, weeping, and began to bathe his feet with her tears and dry them with her hair. Then she continued kissing his feet and anointing them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw it, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Jesus spoke up and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, he replied, speak. And Jesus said, A certain creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debts for both of them. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the greater debt. And Jesus said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has bathed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, yet she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which were many, have been forgiven. Hence, she has shown great love. But the one to whom little is forgiven loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. But those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, we cannot truly understand the depth and breadth and height of your love for us we often question whether or not you truly can love us for all that we have done. We truly wonder or sometimes forget that we need your love. 
and our faith is between you and us. And that makes us whole. So come to us now by your word and speak to each of us that that we need to hear. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. If it had not been for the clergy, we would have already celebrated Father's Day. In 1910, a woman named Sonora Smart Dodd heard a sermon about mothers on Mother's Day. And she went to her pastor and said that if mothers had a special day, then fathers should also have a special day that we were neglecting half of the parenting. And so the clergy decided that it would be good to have a Father's Day, and Sonora wanted it on June 5th, the day of her father's birthday. Her father was a Civil War veteran, and he raised six children as a single parent, a single father. And she wanted to honor him on his birthday. But the clergy said, we can't get our sermons ready in time. And so Father's Day is on the third Sunday in June. Eleven years ago, on Father's Day, I gave my husband a Father's Day card. We were almost parents, but it was close enough. It was to honor and acknowledge that awesome responsibility that he was taking on as a father of our first daughter, just about to be born. And it meant so much. Of course, Father's Day gets reduced to cards and ties. But it is a good ritual to celebrate to honor and to ask God's blessings upon the love and caring and strength and courage that fathers give. The love from the best of our fathers that God comes through to us. It is good to celebrate and love the love that we have been shown. Our faith practice for today is worship. And it's far more exciting than you would think. We come to this story in the Gospel of Luke as if we have entered a movie that has already started. Something has happened before this, but we don't know what. Jesus is there at a fancy dinner party, there in the courtyard of this very important man's house, and they are all dining and enjoying themselves when a woman breaks through and begins kneeling at Jesus' feet and making a scene. She lets her hair down. She is weeping. She breaks open a jar of perfume and is wiping Jesus' feet. 
Now, if we were in first century Palestine, at this point in the movie, we would be covering our children's eyes because this was not something that they should see. This was a very scandalous moment that a woman would be touching a rabbi and kissing his feet. Simon is sure now that he's got Jesus figured out. Jesus, if he were a man of God, would not touch this woman. And Simon has it wrong on both counts. A man of God would touch this woman. And Jesus is a man of God. We have these two people. And Jesus go on, goes on to talk about the great love that the woman is pouring out for him. And he says that it's because she has known great forgiveness. It's not that she comes there and pours out the ointment and then Jesus forgives her. She has, in her life, somehow known God's love and compassion and grace through Jesus Christ. We don't know if it was when Jesus was sitting there and eating with the tax collectors and the sinners. We don't know if she has been a victim of sin. We don't know whether or not she is a harlot. As the commentators say, Jesus names a prostitute later in the gospel as that. But here she is a sinner. She has a bad reputation. And yet she has known Jesus' love. Did he confront the system of prostitution? Did he somehow pay for her to be released from that debt? His grace and his compassion take away her guilt and her shame, and she knows it. Of course, there's Simon, who is righteous. And he is, to a certain extent. To be righteous is to have a right relationship with God. That word righteous and the word sinner are opposite ends. A sinner is one who shoots the arrow of, God, of their life and misses the mark, misses God's will, misses living that life as God would have us. Like that arrow, aiming for the target, but it goes astray. Simon is convinced that when he takes his arrow, every single time, he is on the mark. He doesn't need to be forgiven, or so he thinks. What we know about the woman is that she is a misser. She misses the mark, and she knows it. Simon is a misser. He doesn't know it. It would be easier if these two characters weren't so extreme. I don't know that we like to think of ourselves as a woman of the street who has a bad reputation and breaks in to kiss Jesus' feet, but neither do we want to be thought of as the Pharisee who does not know that he needs God's love. But if the truth be told, we probably fall more on the side 
of the one who is not aware or is less aware of our need for God's grace. We have blessings. Many have power. Many here are not desperate for God's love. What the woman does for Jesus is worship him. She adores him. She gets down on her knees and she weeps for joy. She does this incredibly intimate act of love. And that is worship. Sometimes we feel loving towards God and we pour out our hearts. And sometimes we don't. Sometimes we forget that we are missers. And so we have to practice worship. We have to develop our skills at worship of praising God, of adoring God, of loving God. Love is not just an emotion. We know this. But love is working for well-being even when we do not have the feelings of love. And so we practice. There are many ways that we can practice loving God, worshiping God. There was a time when people came to church because it was to worship God. It was what you did. People did not go because they were going to hear a great sermon. And they did not go because they were going to get something out of it. People went because it was required of them by God. A mother saying to her child, six days God blesses us, on the seventh day we go to church. We go to worship. It's about putting God at the center of our lives. When we can worship God, something greater than us, outside of us, we are not caught inside of ourself. The woman in Jesus' story is worshiping that which is greater than she is. Simon is still inside himself. And so we come to worship to get outside of ourselves, to love and to know God's love even when we don't feel loving. We present ourselves and come into that space. And it takes practice. The ways in which we can worship are multitude. The Sufi poet Rumi said, there are a hundred ways to kneel and kiss the ground. We might say there are a hundred ways to kneel and kiss Jesus' feet. We can come here and sing the praises and learn the songs and pray our prayers of adoration to God. We can practice it. And sometimes we say, well, we shouldn't do it if it's just rote, like brushing our teeth. If we brushed our teeth, if we didn't brush our teeth when we were too tired or just didn't feel like it, our teeth would fall out. It's okay to pray like you're brushing your teeth. The other thing that the woman does is she pours out a gift. She loves Jesus, and so she wants to give him a gift. The gift is not to feed the poor. 
the gift is not because Jesus needs it. Jesus doesn't need perfume on his feet. In fact, many times people in the gospel just think she's wasted it. But she wanted to give him a gift. And so part of worship is bringing our gifts, giving God gifts. Not because God needs it. Honestly, not because the church needs it. But because we love and we need to show that gift. And the other thing that is in this story is that to love Jesus, to love God, is to love those whom Jesus loves. Simon cannot imagine that God loves this woman. But indeed, Jesus does. And so one of the finest forms of worship is to love the least and the littlest, those whom everyone else would shun. There are hundreds of ways to kneel and kiss Jesus' feet. This week, find yours. Amen.